Oh yeah, here we go, practice acquisition. There are pitfalls throughout the entire process. another episode of shark week uh acquisition uh, uncensored we are rolling through this week and we are in the middle of the country in arizona with menlo dental transitions going to introduce our next guest here in a minute but we talked about some really really good stuff hang in there because there's some there's some nuggets some things we talked about was kind of the pricing strategies around how brokers price practices. I think that's really, really good stuff for you guys to hear because oftentimes you're wondering where is the broker coming from on, on the price? And so David Haynes with Menlo does a great job of kind of laying out the, the, the challenges that they have when representing a seller. Um, one of the cool things that I thought he brought up was for a buyer is to be ready, be prepared when you call the practice broker. Um, we talked a lot about like, if you are relocating to a different market, trying to buy a practice. So for example, you live in California and you're relocating to, I don't know, Arizona, what that looks like, how that feels with the practice broker. We, we outlined those, those challenges. And, and, and one of the other great thing that we talked about was, you know, just in general, Think about how you approach a practice broker and the mindset that you need to be in when you approach a seller or a practice broker. Just, just be prepared for it. So a lot of great things. Again, my name is Mike Dincio, founder of Next Level Consultants. I'm a buyer's rep. I do this for fun and, and I'm having fun. And Shark Week has been awesome. We do it every year. I wonder if you're watching Discovery Channel Shark Week. We're doing it at the same time. We do have t-shirts to give you. If you write us a review, you get a free Shark Week, Dental Shark Week t-shirt. Check it out. Review the podcast. I'll send you a t-shirt. They're fun and uh, we're having fun with the program. Here we go. Let's get another one going. Acquisition Uncensored. The truth when buying and selling a dental practice. And now your host, Michael Dincio. All right, guys, welcome welcome to another episode of Shark Week Dental Acquisition uh, Uncensored. We are going through uh, a lineup of practice brokers. We're midway through the country and uh, practice uh, brokers here have represented super well. You guys have probably got a ton of golden nuggets in all these episodes. I would challenge you to listen to each and every one of them, even if you're not in the particular broker's market. They all have really great insight and it's really important to just pick up little nuggets as you take in, in each one of these episodes. You, you're going to learn so much about how to approach a broker, how to approach a market, how to approach a deal. But today we have a special guest. His name's David Haynes and he is a practice broker with Menlo Dental Transitions. I'm super excited to be partnering with Menlo on this program because they are the dominant force in AZ. Arizona, and they are represented today by an awesome dude, David Haynes. Welcome to the show, my friend. Michael, thanks for having me. That's some exciting intro music. I don't think I've had good intro music like that before, so that's that's good. <laughs> well, we we tr- we try. We we do our we do our absolute best to get people pumped 
I mean, sometimes people are driving to work or the a boring associate position. And yeah, we, we got we gotta wake them up. We gotta get them, we gotta get them motivated to get into ownership. I mean, that's what that's what the music's all about. But uh, let's 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 get right into it. I, I've found that if we dilly-dally too much, we lose them and they go to someone else's podcast. I, I don't want that to happen. But um, David, tell us a little bit about Menlo. Don't get too in the weeds, but what are you guys all about? Uh, what makes you guys special? Just a little bit about Menlo and, and David Haynes. Yeah, Menlo started a commercial real estate firm, started doing practice transitions about eight years ago. Right now we have over 40 listings in various parts of the country. Started in Arizona, so naturally our, you know, we have a big presence here. We've expanded into California and other uh, other markets kind of in the Southwest and have, uh, you know, we've brokered across the country. We've, we have associate placement that takes place across the country. We do nationwide appraisals. We have a separate, we have a certified, uh, we have three certified appraisers on our staff that handle uh, appraisals nationwide for, for a variety of uses. And that's kind of us in a nutshell. We usually, you know, we're usually representing sellers, bringing practices to market. And that's, uh, that's kind of where our experience is. Well, that's why I'm interviewing you today, oddly enough. So you have, you guys have so much experience representing sellers. The reason why we are interviewing so many practice brokers is because each and every one of you kind of run your business slightly different. And I think that the buyers need to understand what they're getting into when they approach practice brokers. That's ultimately what this is about. So, so David, when a buyer approaches you, tell me, like, what do you want from them? Like, give, give us like the pitfalls or, or, or maybe even best practices, however you want to take that. But like, what, how do you want a buyer to represent themselves? Because ultimately, this is a very competitive market across the country. I'm assuming it is an AZ, just like it is everywhere else. So maybe speak to that too. But like, how do you want them to approach you? How can they get into first position? How do they show well? You know, we, we do get this question a lot, and I think sometimes people get either frustrated with the process, you know, or, you know, and they're like, hey, how do, how do, how do, we, how do we make it happen? You know, either they've been outbid or, or something is taken off the market before they even really had a chance to look at it. And it, it's, there's really no secret sauce. It's just about relationships and awareness. You know, we, we are, I'm just one guy going out and finding listings and, um, and and working with sellers on their retirement plans. You know, we have in-depth conversations with them. Sometimes these are like years long, uh, you know, relationships that we are, you know, finally getting to the point of listing a practice. So, and then when we take a good practice to the market, we have, and there's a lot of buyers, you know, naturally, you know, some we're gonna know more about. It's just about relationships and knowing, uh, you know, some of these buyers, what they want, what their personality is like, what their team is like. You know, there's a few people that that kind of consistently show up on my radar and and they just kind of do silly things, you know, like don't show up for showings, you know, like they just they, they just they'll schedule something and then there's just like a no show. And it's like, oh, well, I had, to, you know, and so there's just like it's really just relationships and common sense. Like, you know, there, there's a lot more to it in terms of the team and being ready. But but in terms of like you know, how do you want buyers to approach us? We just want to get to know you. And, and we're looking for a good transition, right? Like we don't, 
we don't want to put somebody in a situation that's not going to be good for them ultimately because that doesn't look good on us even though we might represent the seller and they might be happy you know we want we want to know what the buyers are looking for so that we can truly see if if what we're doing is a good fit ultimately you know, this, that's a win something that i'm going to hang on to is this is a relationship business you kind of said you just said it you know the truth is 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 it is and you're i don't know folks if you ever heard the, the the saying always be selling well always be selling yourself your brand your personal image your reputation your integrity um it's so it so matters you know as i as i see it from a buyer's rep perspective you know um it, folks just not uh, really representing well and so Unlike real estate in, in the um, buying a house, most of my, my clients only have the buying of the house example. And so they relate it to that. Unlike that, you don't have like this database of, of all the listings in the entire area that you can tap into. You know, David is your personal listing guy and, and Menlo has their listings and the next broker has their listings. And so... You have you have to connect with David. You have to build a relationship with David because you want him thinking about you if there's a practice that makes sense for you. So is that Absolutely. what I'm hearing ultimately? Yeah, yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, I don't necessarily need to be your best friend, but at least at a minimum, communicate what you're really looking for so that so that we know what that is, you know. And, you know, if you're if your box is fairly wide, that's OK. But just just. It, awareness is probably like number one and then preparation right if somebody comes to us and you know we have some people occasionally that just aren't fully ready to make the leap but they're spending a lot of time you know digging into stuff and and it's obvious that there's either either there's an agreement in place with their current employer that prevents them from making a move immediately or maybe there's a move that needs to take place you know maybe they have to you know maybe we talk to a lot of people that are trying to relocate into different markets um, and so, you know, kind of getting your ducks in a row helps a lot. I mean, you know, it, it's just it's just awareness and clear communication on what you're looking for, timeframes, you know, and, and 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 if we understand that, if we have a good idea, it just makes our job so much easier. There's no there's less guessing about it. Well, I, I'm going to key in on timelines because I get the timeline question literally every single time my clients hire me, like, what's the process? And and uh, how does this work? I don't think that most buyers really appreciate how fast this process is once they're fully engaged. You literally could be an owner in 45 days if everything worked out perfectly. Like, yeah, it, it's it's crazy. You could be an owner of a $1 million plus practice in 45 days if everything goes through perfectly. So I think you said something that I that I want to key in on, and that is like, you know, you've got a lot of people calling you that aren't necessarily ready. How's that go over? Like you're a busy guy. I, I you're trying to you're trying to sell practices for a living. <laughs> I'm leading yeah. the wit. I'm leading the witness here. How's that go over for you if someone just calls and says, "Hey, I think I want to buy next year." What do you got? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it almost goes nowhere. It's it is still good to have some awareness of that person. And it's good to maybe, you know, have them, you know, we use software to kind of keep track of 
uh, of, you know, we have CRM software. So if somebody calls me and they want to do something in a year, that's fine. But we probably shouldn't be looking at a practice today and sharing all the personal details of a seller today. So, you know, I have, you know, like I said, sometimes the, the selling process is kind of an emotional thing for some sellers. Um, I had I have a seller this week that we're working with that wants to meet all of our buyers. You know, if somebody's not very serious, like I really I need to know I need to know that that person's super serious before I put them in front of a buyer because it's it's a it's a it's a process that can kind of wear you out in terms of a seller after you've met multiple people and um, you know so it's it's just a matter of efficiency and the cream tends to rise to the top right like if you know when there's a when there's a good listing and you know there's there's usually several people competing for it at least that's the way it's been historically there is um, you know, you just you just get flushed out if if you're not ready to make the move, you know, fairly quickly. Um, you know, there's just a lot of people going for it. And that's not me. It's just the way the market is right now. That might change in the future. Like there's always uncertainty in the future markets. But but for the most part, it's been, you know, b because of the industry trends, owner, user, buyers, the, when they're ready to go and they find a good practice, they need to be ready to roll. Yeah. AZ is one of the hottest markets no pun intended i think it's like 100 degrees there today um, it's hot yeah it's hot and so but but from an acquisition perspective it's a very hot market because uh the the cost of living is much less in arizona but the weather's uh, amazing minus the the summertime when it's 120 degrees right. some people like that but nonetheless arizona is an attractive market and so uh let's talk about that because I don't think that's been covered on Shark Week yet. And that is how to handle someone that's relocating and looking to buy in another market. We could talk about how great Arizona is and why you want might want to move there and buy a practice here. Uh, it, it speaks for itself. How, uh, I've got some points in this, but lead the charge, David. How do we handle buyers? You said be prepared, be, be ready earlier on in the show here, but... I'm thinking that's like on another level of someone's relocating from Ohio or California, because how does a broker think? I mean, you can't take that, that natural thought out of your brain. What do you think when someone says, Hey, I'm moving. I haven't moved yet. I don't have the license in AZ yet, but I'm, I'm interested in buying a practice. Where's your head go? I know where it would go. Yeah. I, you know, we deal with this a lot. I, I work in California a fair amount and there's just, there's a lot of crossover between the two markets it's a good question. And the honest first thought is it's more complicated. If we have three, you know, let's just suppose there are three buyers to choose from and some guys here local, he's been in the area for a long time and he's ready to go pre-qualified. And then somebody else is coming from out of market with all the same features, except for the fact that they have to relocate here, right? Assuming everything else equal, except, you know, the re it's just the relocation just makes it more complicated, right? And so yep. timing's usually tougher. There's just a lot of uncertainty. The deal is is more likely to either take longer to close or to have complications in the process. And then the longer the longer the deal process is, the, the more likely you are to introduce, you know, some sort of issue. Right. It, it, time, the longer time, you know, goes on, the, the worse that is. So it can be done. Uh, there, there's a guy in particular that I know he was interested in buying a practice. He was in California, sold his office there and and wanted to come here to arizona he made offers he flew here made offers several times on practices from california kept losing and then finally uh, moved here and and made it made a huge difference 
He still, I think, turned through a couple of offices, um, but ultimately he got it done. And being here makes a big difference. Or yeah, being in whatever market. And being in the market. Yeah, I, I think that's the key right there is, is, and even that guy had a leg up because he probably had some pretty, pretty serious cash to bring into a deal if you just sold a practice. Um, oh, you yeah. know, the, just in general, a buyer that's more serious, has more cash is going to be looked at. Folks, I just want you to understand it. David is being super polite, I feel like. This is an uncensored show. I'm, I'm going to call it out right now. The, the brokers are, are thinking to themselves, I have to represent my seller to the best of my ability. If I put two people in front of my, my, my seller, and they have to put everybody in front of their seller, but if they are advising their client, one, one gal is ready, like he said, and one is, has to relocate and there's you know, all of the efforts that go into moving, buying a house, you know, selling a house, uh, relocating, finding, finding whatever, getting your license, getting your kids in school, like that is more complicated, period. And your timeline now is much further out. And so, folks, keep that in mind. If you're coming into market and you haven't moved there yet, when you approach that broker, make sure you put some confidence level into them day one. It's a drawback. It's a drawback. Uh, fair enough, David. Yeah, it's a drawback. And I will say from the buyer's side, there's some drawbacks on their end as well, right? If they move to the market, so A, they have to leave what they're currently doing, and then and then B, they have to get here and start something new, you know, on a temporary basis if they're looking to ultimately buy. So they're gonna have to take an associate job and then that may create a non-compete. And so there's definitely drawbacks or things to be aware of. And so that's when, you know, if you make the move, um, you know, try and work in an area, obviously not close to where you want to practice, like get yourself, park yourself pretty far out of town, you know, if possible. And there's ways, there's plenty of associate opportunities along those lines to, you know, so you're not boxing yourself in, in a non-compete zone. I mean, this, there are drawbacks to moving for, on the buyer side, but it will make you more competitive from our perspective. Great, great tip. Stay away from the areas that you actually want to, to buy. That's huge tip. That's great. Something that David and I share is we're both ex-bankers, so we could talk about banking all day long. The Fed's just increased the rates. Uh, that's like yesterday news. Um, I know that's a timestamp. How has banking changed in the last six months in your mind, David? I mean, give us that unsolicited, neutral ground, like uh, how hard, how easy is it to get lending? We talked about it already this season but just because we share that background let's let's have a conversation about yeah. it. well it's funny i had a i had some showings last night and a buyer said hey the, the i saw the fed raise rates today you know what does that what does that mean for me and essentially the the short answer is really nothing you know the feds they're raising short-term rates and we're talking about 10-year loans usually and so yes there is an impact yes there's a relationship between the two to some extent uh, but long-term rates float with the market, right? The long-term rates really aren't dictated by the Fed per se. And so you can watch the 10-year treasury to kind of get a, a hint as to where things have been. But, you know, when I started in dental lending, it wasn't uncommon to have rates in like four and five and sometimes 6%. Like it's, and, and, and when you're talking about a 10-year loan, a difference between, you know, a three rate and, and a four and a half or even 5%, it's not as big as you would think, you know, when you have a 30 year residential mortgage, you know, kind of going back to the, the example most of us have experienced, 
the rate starts to make a bigger difference because we have a much longer repayment period, 30 years versus 10 years. So, so a 10 year loan, you know, if it, if it moves by a couple basis points, you know, rates in the fives are, you could argue maybe still subsidized by, by federal stimulus on some level. Right. And so, uh, rates, rates in that territory are all still very good rates and it doesn't, you know, from my perspective, you know, a couple bips here and there shouldn't really make any difference to a buyer, um, you know, especially over the long term, you know, over the course of their career, it, it makes no difference. If you find the right practice and you have a reasonable rate, you should, you know, you should do it. I I get into conversations all the time with my, my clients about, you know, this bank at this rate and this bank, it's, it's every day. And when you, when you, when you break it down to brass tacks, um, it, it's usually like a, a three to $5,000 difference over 10 years. It's like, I don't know, is that really somewhere that we, we need to focus? To me, it's about relationship and it's about so many other things than just five, four or $5,000 divided by uh, 120 months. Like it's, 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 it's tiny, which brings me to another point and that is cash flow. Yeah. So you're probably a heavy cash flow guy because you're an ex banker now practice broker. So like walk us through cash flow. Like what, what are you seeing? Uh, the average practice throwing off cash flow wise, like, like I, I have to sometimes unwind unicorn versus good deal, you know, yeah. or, you know, let's not talk about fixer uppers that has a conversation of its own. Let's not talk about unicorns. Unicorns throw off, you know, more than four or $500,000. Let's talk about like the average practice. What should these folks be looking for as an average solid nuts and bolts practice that you're seeing in Arizona anyways? Yeah. You know, I like, I, I go to a couple metrics pretty quickly. I look at hygiene percentage, you know, what's their percentage of hygiene uh, as a percent of, and, and actually calculating that's a little tricky. Like you have to go to the production report and figure out what the hygiene percentage is from a production report and then kind of apply that to collection. So it's not that it takes, it takes a couple steps to really dial that in, but I'm looking for hygiene. That's going to be, you know, in that 30% plus territory. Sometimes it's a little bit less, sometimes more, but I like to see hygiene there. And then I go straight down to owner discretionary cash flow. So we'll take, we'll take the net income. We're going to add back all the owner discretionary items. We'll add back uh, interest depreciation and all the maybe non-cash items or things that go away when the practice sales, you know, we're trying to figure out what's the owner discretion. And I'm looking for, again, 30% plus uh, owner discretionary cash flow as a percent of collections. Now, when I look, the only flaw in looking at percentages like that is, is the fact that, you know, if you get into too small of a practice, then that number starts to get really compressed. So this is assuming we're looking at practices that are doing 800,000 to 1.2, you know, somewhere right in that kind of sweet spot. And, you know, it really does depend on the submarket, right? California is a little different. Arizona is different. Rural Arizona. I've, we have some insane cash flowing offices in rural markets. And if you're, I'll tell you this right now, this is my plug for rural markets. I, the more I do this, the more I'm a fan of like going a little outside of town. You get better reimbursement rates. Uh, in some instances, you have more patient demand. So some rural offices, we see it just, just blow those numbers out of the water. And so it's, it, it's, in those markets, it's less unicorn-like to see that kind of those, you know, over let's say over 40% cash flow. That's pretty unicorn in a in a in a suburban area. You got to be doing something special, but in a rural market, it's not uncommon. So I mean, I, if I was to go to quick metrics that a buyer can look at, that's it. 
No, I love that. The, those answers. It's I've asked that question and, and we've gotten an array of different things. So that's one thing you could take away from Shark Week is how the practice brokers view the practices that they're selling. It's a little insight to piggyback off that rural one. Gosh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, you know, where, where you go to a market that everybody wants to be in, it's going to be more competitive. It's going to sell probably for higher, uh, for higher than what it might uh, actually be worth. And I say that because, <clears throat> excuse me, but, but brokers infamous line is, is a practice is worth what someone's willing to pay for. It. And it's so true. You go to a pra- uh, an area that, that, that um, everybody wants to be in, you're going to have five people backed up trying to buy that practice or more. <laughs> the last, yep. uh, the last broker we talked to had uh, 30 dentists per practice and that was in Tal- Dallas. So, you know, if you're going after that area, naturally you're going to pay more. Duh. I mean, that's basics. Yeah. That's ba- that's basic. You go to uh, uh, an outside, uh, you know, Lubbock, Texas. I just talked to a doctor, like that's different than Dallas Fort Worth, you know? And so, yeah, the, the pool is going to be smaller. The, like you said, there's, there's so many, the demand for dentistry is so much higher. So you're, I'm, I'm right there with you. I wish people would live in the city and then commute out to get better practices, to have a better business. Heck, you might actually like being in the outskirts. Go there, live there. Okay. It's great. Right. I mean, at, least, at least consider it. I was, this does spark some fresh thoughts. I mean, after I have a couple nights of showings, it, it have, I have a lot of stuff that's like at the front of my mind, you know, for like, so one of the guys I talked to last night, was he's like hey, i think this is priced pretty aggressively and in, in this particular practice it's going to get multiple offers uh you know just exactly what you're saying it's in a prime spot it's going to get a lot of attention and i'm like i i don't i don't control the market you know we we do our <laughs> best to we do our best to present the practice as well as we can we want to uncover we want to be able to explain cash flow and and show what's going on in the office but the market is what drives pricing and it's as you know we you know i can't swindle you know we've done we've sold over 300 offices we can't swindle people 300 times right it's it's not it's not (laughs) me it's it's like like our pricing is just is a product of of what's taking place in the market and so you know when i as i was talking to you know this particular buyer we discussed that everything that you do in terms of making yourself competitive falls onto a spectrum you know, we were dissecting things like, uh, oh, should you do an earnest deposit? Do you need to, you know, what, what about the what about the lease and all these different things? And, and everything that you do as you're going to make an offer on a practice is is kind of puts you somewhere on the spectrum of competitiveness. Right. How well does your transition align with the seller? All those things. And so, yes, you can choose to make an offer that's below you know, I'm not going to stop you. You can make an offer that's below asking. That's fine yeah. if that's where we're at. Like, I don't, yeah. th- th- there's no offense taken there. If I'm wrong, that's fine. Um, but, but just, you just have to be aware of kind of where you stand in it. And what I find is that most younger buyers, unfortunately, they usually end up making two or three offers before they kind of go, okay, I get it. This, these are the areas where I need to compete a little bit more because there's a <laughs> lot of dials you can turn. And then, and, 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 and it takes, it takes a few runs at it usually to kind of figure out where you need to be. I love I, folks. Listen up that, that is um, experience talking. I, I have been in a few situations with my clients where they find a practice and it's 
it is kind of a unicorn and it's their first practice that they looked at. And I'm like, you know, and, and they're, they're trusting me 100%, but not really maybe 80% because they just hired me. So I'm like, okay, this is a great practice. Get your LOI in now. And we're, you're going to need to go, you know, a little bit above asking and, you know, do all these things. And they're like, eh, I don't know. It's because they're, it's their first one. And, yeah, and it's, that's it's okay. I mean, it's part of the process. It's okay. Well, but it's, it's, it's okay. It's just not going to, you're not going to win. And so, right. and I, and I know that and, and the practice brokers know that. And, and so, uh, you know, choose the right team. That's been an overwhelming like um, theme of shark week is, pick the right people because, and then trust your people once you pick them. But, but D- David, lots of things here, like um, 100%, you don't control the markets. I, I think it's super ironic as we sit uh, timestamp, you know, 2022 and uh, we're in June, we're having this crazy inflation moment. And, and why is gas more expensive and why is bread more expensive? And it's because there's less of it supply and demand type situations. Yeah. And, and, um, and a lot of other things, of course, make something really complicated, simple, but big picture, we can't get our hands on oil. And so therefore gas is as high. And yeah. guy, you know, everybody can be mad at the, the gas company, but the, the truth is, is people still need it. And so therefore people are willing to buy it at $5 a gallon. And it's the same thing. This is basic stuff. So if there's a lot of people looking at one practice, the same practice, David and, and all the practice brokers are naturally going to be able to sell it for more. I mean, it's common sense. It has nothing we to actually, do with we, we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't. Right. That, I mean, our, that's you know, we have a duty to to present the practice in the best in the best way possible. And so, um, you know, and 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 like I said, if we're wrong and how we price or something like that, that will, that will eventually manifest itself. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so the market, the market will ultimately kind of settle the score on those things. It does go the other way. Um, you, you're going to take it in the shorts if you price something too high and, or your seller demands that you list a price too high that I'm guarantee you that happens. And the market is going to fight against that high value. And just like, it can not favor you when there's a lot of competition. It can also hurt you when you list your practice too high and the market comes in 200 grand less because you just listed high. So it works both ways, folks. It works both ways. David, have, you, have you ever been in a situation or yet where a seller's like, no, I don't agree with your valuation. We need to go at, you know, whatever, hundred grand higher. Uh, it's pretty common for a seller to want to kind of push back on, uh, or, or to say, okay, if that's where we're at, let's let's see if we can't list for a little higher to either give ourselves a little buffer or maybe some negotiating room if we need it, you know that kind of thing. And I I personally I don't like that approach. I think if we've got a fair price, let's go to market. It's much more likely to be a smooth process. You know, we know where the banks need to be roughly. We know. You know, there's a reason why we get to the arrive at our recommended prices, and occasionally a seller will be pretty adamant about, well, I've either I purchased a new cone bean recently, or I did this, and 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 so occasionally there's some factors where it's like, okay, we should give, you know, we can give some credit to that. I I can, you know, I try and listen and see where they're coming from, and and um and and just explain maybe some of the risk with um you know with being aggressive, uh you know, on the pricing front. And occasionally we get you know surprised, like like I said that 
you know, the, with the market driving a lot of this, you know, sometimes we get upside surprises and sometimes we get downside surprises. You know, occasionally we'll list a we'll list a practice and we'll we'll pick that upper range of where we think you know the practice is uh, is appraised at, and then occasionally we'll get an offer above that asking. And so um, it's a you know I like to be close. If I have a seller that says, hey, you know, you're recommending a million and I want one point three, then we're done. Like I I have to be within a reasonable range. Um, you know, plus or minus a little bit, you know, yeah. but we can't be, we can't be too far <laughs> off the mark. Folks, we've hit our time. I, I try to hit these things at 30 minutes. It, it, this has been jam packed. Great, great, great things from, from David and Menlo da Dental Transitions. I, I think the insight on pricing was, was really a, a, a good one that the brokers are, are trying to sell a practice, but at the end of the day, they have to be reasonable. You just heard it from David. He, he's, uh, you know, they're not trying to shark people. There's a pun with shark, shark week that you guys are, are sharks, but the, the folks that I'm interviewing on my program are not, they're, they're solid practice brokers. They're, they're not sharks. Um, there are a lot of practice brokers that are, um, and, and that doesn't help David and his profession. But at the same time, you, you heard it firsthand that they go through these challenges with their clients too. And, and it is hard to unwind a practice that you've been working for 20 years. It's your baby. It's, it's a lot more emotional. So just in general, I mean, David's got to fight that every single day. So last tips, David, on, on anything else that you could bring to the table for the audience that um, just to help them in general. And, and how do they get a hold of you too? throw that out? Yeah, email is probably the easiest. We're just David at MenloTransitions.com. Um, we, I, you know, if I was to kind of leave with a final tip, I, I think don't sweat the small stuff. I, I go to, I don't know how many dental offices I've been in, and they all have some common threads, right? Like there's always, and you, you buy a practice. Yes, you're buying cash flow. Yes, it's important to do due diligence. Yes, you know, you need to be comfortable with what you're purchasing. but. Um, I think it's important not to sweat the small stuff. Look at the big picture as you're making a purchase. And and if something's not perfect, you know, that that's okay because as an owner, once you get the keys on day one, you're gonna have the opportunity to do and, and mold the practice into whatever you want it to be. You know, you can, you, you can screw it up on day one or you can kind of, you know, turn it into, or, or you can turn it into something even better. And so, yes, looking back at historicals is great. Um, that's important. That's a lot of what we spend our time doing, but don't sweat the small stuff. If there's something that doesn't, you know, line up perfectly, if it's a good opportunity and checks a lot of those boxes and you're ready to make the purchase, then, you know, I, I, I'm more of a risk on like, let's, let's do it. And, 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 you, and you're going to be fine. in, in most, in most instances, let's risk on with that being said, hashtag let's risk on, um, signing off here, dental acquisition uncensored shark week. Thanks so much, uh, David, for your insight and your um, investment into the community. Uh, appreciate you being on the show, brother. Thank you. Tune in next time for another truth-filled episode of Acquisition Uncensored. We want to hear from you. Interact with your host, Michael Dincio. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube. Comment and subscribe.